<laughs> All right, get it off. That is literally the worst picture of me that I have. <laughs> I was like, see, it's on. It's on my face. How's everybody doing today? All right. Hey, real quick, if you don't have a journal or anything to write with, there are some on the J-Rock, so I'll give you guys 20 seconds to get a journal. Or if you take notes in your phone, do it that way. But go. Okay, cool. Thank you. Uh, part of the reason I'm doing this is because I want you guys, I want all of us, when we come here on Sunday mornings, to be ready to receive what God has for us today. Because I believe that when we come here, um, you know, when there's, when there's reading from God's Word, God has something for all of us. So I'm trying to work it in more where this is more of an interaction. I think even last week, Brian tried to do that. I tried to do that. It's sometimes I might ask questions or you guys could ask me questions. That's okay, right? We could kind of change it up a little bit so preaching is more life-changing and more interactive and more, um, you know, reflective where you could write things down. So I want to I try to do that at times. Sound good? If, there's also pens in front of you as well, okay? So the first, um, we're in Colossians chapter 3, Colossians chapter 3, um, verses 18, all the way through, actually, chapter 4, verse 1. So the rest, and in your Bibles, they may have them divided that way. So you could open your Bibles to that. I'm reading from the ESV today. But the first verse I want to look at, and it's kind of the last verse in the passage. Oh, no, go one back, actually. Can you go one back? Okay, there you go. This is the first verse I want us to look at, it's, and it's towards the end of our passage today. But this is like the umbrella passage for the whole um, teaching this morning. And Paul is saying this, Whatever you do, work heartily, as for the Lord, not for. And so this verse is like the very overarching point for today. It's saying that whatever you do, do it and work hard at it as you're working for the Lord, not for men. Very, very important verse. You guys could write this down. And it kind of has everything to do with what we're talking about today. And there's three points to this little verse. I'll just share real quick. Paul is saying like, Whatever you do is like whatever you choose to do. Like he's not saying you have to do it. But if you choose to do something, do it with all of your might, right? Like what, if you choose to do something, if you choose to take this job at McDonald's, do it with all of your might. Then again, you chose to do it, right? So he's like, do it with all of your heart. If you choose to get married, Love your husbands with all of your might. Love your wives with all of your might. But then again, the Bible says you don't have to get married. Getting married is not a commandment. Single folks, there's a whole chapter on that in the Bible where it says it's okay not to be married. And for a lot of people, you're better off not married. So it's okay. I know we put pressure on single folks to get married, but it's okay. He's saying you could serve the Lord in many ways, much more than married folks. And so he's saying, that's all right. But if you choose to get married, this is how you should treat your spouse, right? Um, and so he's saying, whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord, not for men. And it's even important, he's saying, don't do it as you're working for God and as for men. He's saying, do it for the Lord. And that implies that God is your Lord, right? And that's what the Old Testament talks about, uh, God the Lord. And so he's saying, it's your Lord, your master. So do it as you're doing it for him, whatever you do. If you're a janitor and clean toilets, scrub them joints like you're doing it for Jesus, not for anybody else. 
That's the point it's saying. It's saying it's like whatever God has you to do, you're doing it for the Lord. And so that's a precursor to what we're reading. So I'm going to go into our passage this morning. And again, it's in, we start in verse 18. And the first, the first verse I come to is this. And, and I have a, you know, wherever Brian is in this place, Brian was supposed to preach on this last week. And the first thing I come to in my preparation is, wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting to the Lord. I'm like, why did Brian give me this verse this week, right? He didn't want to, like, preach on this on Mother's Day. Is that what it was, Brian? You didn't want to bring that up on Mother's Day? Um, so he conveniently left this for me, but that's fine. Um, he didn't get that far. So this is our passage that we're in. Again, we're working our way through Colossians. We only have a couple more weeks of messages, and then we're done with Colossians. So it says this, and I'll read it in its entirety. Wives, submit, your, submit to your husbands as is fitting to the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents and everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. Bond servants, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters. Um, not, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily as, it, as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. For the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done, and there is no partiality. Masters, treat your bondservants justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. Let's pray. God, we just thank you for your word. We believe your word is powerful. It's unchanging. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. And God, it's given to us to obey and follow. So God, uh, help us do that and just allow your word to come alive to us this morning. In Jesus' name I pray. And all God's people said? All right. Awesome. So the first passage we come to is... uh, you know, really in a, in a lot of our society, maybe a controversial passage, it's this, wives, submit yourselves, submit to your husbands as is fitting to the Lord. And husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. You guys can actually go to the next slide actually up there. I think there's, yeah, there you go. Um, wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting to the Lord. And husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. And I'm choosing intentionally to put, sandwich these verses together because really they're meant to go together, Right? They're meant to go together. Um, and if you read this um, as, uh, and look at it at its face value, it might bring up a lot of questions. And its, it's best way to look at it is, is to look at what the wife is called to do as what the husbands are called to do. So the wives are called to submit to their husbands. Husbands are called to love their wives and do not be harsh with them. In a nutshell, husband, wives are called to submit to their husbands. Husbands are called to die to their wives. All right, and I'll explain a little bit where I get that from later. But wives are called to submit to their husbands, and husbands are called to die for their wives. Submit and die. Those are the two separate roles, right? Submit, wives submit, husbands die. Die, right? And so it's really hard to, like, separate these two and say, hey, it says wives submit. It says wives submit and leave out the part that husbands are supposed to sacrifice their lives for their spouse. Does that make sense? How the two cannot be separated from each other? 
And, you know, it, and, and I'll get back to that in a second. But, but what does this mean? What is, and how does this look? How does this look in a normal marriage? Um, but I'll start with saying what I believe this doesn't mean. What I believe this doesn't mean. Um, the first thing it doesn't mean is um, women submit to all men, right? It doesn't mean that. In, in this, <laughs> somebody say amen. <laughs> yes, there you go. Megan's like, I'm not married. I don't submit to nobody. It's true. Yes, you're right. <laughs> That's why. She, it's good. Um, women are not called to submit to all men. In this context, it's saying women submit to your husbands, to your own husbands, and not anybody else's husband. So if you're married, it's not like this blanket submitting to all husbands, you know. It's the person that you gave yourself to on your wedding day is the person that you're called to submit to. So not, not doesn't mean that women are under all men. And so that's a fallacy. Um, when you get married, you are putting yourselves into a relationship. So again, single ladies, remain single. That's cool, and that's, God loves that, and he's not saying you have to get married to become all you have to be. That's, that's not the case. You could be single, and, and that's awesome. Um, but if you are looking for a man, single ladies or young folks, if you're looking for a man, find a man that you can respect. Don't find a man that has a good job. Don't find a man that simply makes a lot of money or is attractive. Find a man that loves Jesus that you could respect and that you are totally fine giving yourselves to. Does that make sense? Like, all these other things are side points to the real deal. And so this is why I take pre-marriage counseling so seriously, because I want to tell people, please, if you have any doubt in your mind, don't get married. My goal during premarital counseling is try to convince you not to get married. Because if I can convince you not to get married in two or three meetings, you should not be married. <laughs> if I can get you to doubt that if you love this man in two meetings, wedding's off. Right? And I do that sometimes. I'm like, why do you want to marry him? What if he does this? What if he does this? And I try to like, if you're not 100% sure, I want to find that out before the wedding. It's better to end the wedding a month before than to get married and it ends a year later. So find yourself somebody that you could respect, somebody that you love, somebody that you could put yourself in that covenant with. Um, the other thing it's not saying is it's not saying that women are asked to submit to abuse. Never ever saying that. Never ever. Maybe you, you think that it's ugly and horrible. It's never saying submit to abuse or submit to adultery um, or submit to having you sin. You know, it's never, ever saying that. And it's, you know, that's, you're not under that. And it's not asking that. Submission in our culture brings up a lot of negative feelings. And so when you see this word submit, um, you might think it means belittle or dominate or uh, authority, um, brings up authority thoughts, or that you're lesser in value or lesser in competency. In no way is it saying any of those things, that wives are lesser than husbands? It's not saying that. And it couldn't be farther from that. Or they have less value than men. And any verse that we talk about needs to be seen in its original context. What's the context of this verse? The local context is husbands love your wives. Husbands are charged with loving their wives, sacrifice for her. Lift her up, die for her, lay down your life for her. Husbands are, give the greater charge of like, hey, not only are you to mutually submit to one another, but husbands are called to lay down their lives for their wife. 
and love their wives like Christ loved the church. Um, let's look at that next passage real quick in Ephesians 5, 25. It says this, very important verse. It says this, Husbands, love your wives just as who? Loved the church and gave himself up for her. So if husbands want to feel like you understand your role in marriage, just study Jesus and how he loved the church. That's like every day you are setting aside your, your will, your want, your needs for your wife. It's getting on your knees and washing the feet of your wife metaphorically and maybe sometimes even physically. <laughs> and it's saying, hey, all my desires, I'm laying down for you. What do you want? How can I submit to you? And so there's this revolving door in marriage. Wives submit to husbands. Husbands die for your wives. Wives submit to your husbands. Husbands die for your wives. And it's not just die, because I think all husbands would take a bullet for their wife. At least I know I would. But that's easy metaphorically. But it's hard to say, hey, I'm giving up my personal time so you could have personal time. I'm laying aside my hunting season so you can go do something what you could do. I'm laying aside this so you can do this. I'm laying down my life. I see some people shaking their heads about hunting. I, did, I a, did I strike an idol with hunting? Heck no! <clears throat> Get her done. Um, sorry. That was a big thing back in my day for rednecks to say. Um, sorry. Rednecks is a good phrase. I mean that endearment. Um, the other thing is, um, you know, it says uh, people might be asking, what if my husband or wife isn't a believer? What if my husband doesn't love Jesus? Um, very good question. The Bible specifically addresses it. I don't have it up here, but in, if you're taking notes, 1 Corinthians 7, 13. 1 Corinthians 7, 13 says this. If any woman has a husband who is an unbeliever and he consents to live with her, she should not divorce him. Okay? It's saying if, if they could, if, if, if they consent to live with each other, they, they, she shouldn't divorce him. And then another one is in 1 Peter 3, 1. Again, it's not in the screens for you. But in 1 Peter 3, 1, it says this. Likewise, wives be subject to your own husbands, so that even if they do not obey the word, meaning if your husbands are not believers, they may be won without, uh, without a word by the conduct of their wives. So saying, if your husband's not a believer, keep loving Jesus, and by your conduct, your husband might be saved. Same thing for, for men. If your wives are not believers, keep loving them. Keep laying down your life for them. And by your conduct, they might be saved. So it's not saying, hey, leave your spouse so they don't love Jesus. It doesn't say that. Um, and so, but husbands are definitely called to love their wives as Christ loved the church. What does this look like in my marriage? Um, in my marriage, um, and I think if any of you actually look at a healthy Christian relationship— no time is a husband ever say they're in an argument and it's like, hey, submit! Right? That's not healthy. That's not good. Hey, I'm the man. The Bible says wives submit. You submit. You listen. That is unhealthy. That's sinful. That's not right. And if any of you husbands are doing that, please stop. If any if wives, you know, if your husbands are doing that, that's not what Jesus wanted. That's not Christ loving the church. 
Jesus got down on his knees and he washed the disciples' feet. And he's saying, I'm a servant leader. I'm going to serve you. Put my needs before you. And so in my marriage with Nicole, our marriage very much looks like mutual submission 100% of the time. I'm submitting myself to you as Christ did the church. She's submitting herself to me. We're, I bow my knee to her. She bows her knee to me. And we are serving each other. By the grace of God, I have a wife that loves Jesus. And I'm thankful for that. And we don't, as he said in the very beginning, we don't do this just because I'm so special or she, I don't love her and treat her right because she's such a good woman. I do it for Jesus, right? I do it because it makes my father happy first, and then it also makes my wife happy second. So my father's happy, my wife's happy, I'm happy. So we submit to each other often, and it's good. Um, Nicole is, you know, right now in our marriage, Nicole is a stay-at-home mom. Um, John is still is at home most of the time, so she's a stay-at-home mom. But I, you know, if she feels like she wants to get a job one day when the kids are in school, that's, that's her prerogative. And, and I hope she makes more money than me. And I think that's good. And before we had kids, she was making a lot more money than me, you know, because she has her degree in therapy and she was working at a hospital and doing amazing work. And that's her prerogative. And that's up to her. I love that. Um, I put her needs first before my own. I see my role as taking the initiative in the marriage covenant. So we entered into a marriage covenant, and my job is to make sure that we're keeping that and, and encouraging each other and protecting her, um, loving her, and watching over her, caring for her. I really, and I don't know, this whole verse is about Christian households. For you parents of young kids, um, Nicole and I prioritize our marriage over our children. That might be a shock to some of you, but it's something that we've always done. We prioritize our marriage over our children. So what does that look like? It looks like, you know, uh, hey, kids, uh, you're getting a babysitter tonight, and we're going on a date. But, Dad, I haven't seen you. It's like, hey, I haven't seen my wife either. <laughs> I'll see you later. I'm not saying I, like, lock the kids in the basement. I don't love them. But I'm, <laughs> sometimes we do. But what I'm saying is, is I put our marriage before our kids because what my kids need to see ultimately at the end of the day is an example of a good marriage. And secondly, they see that we love them. But sometimes we just need to be alone together. Sometimes we need to be away together. And if, you know, and my kids, you know, my wife comes first. Kids, love you to death, but I'm going to love you after I love my wife first. And so they need to see that. And hopefully— the result of that is I give my kids a good example of what a marriage looks like. Hopefully, if you two are investing in your marriage above your kids, your kids don't have to deal with two Christmases like some of us do with divorced parents, right? Some of us have like four Christmases to go to because our parents are divorced. <laughs> I'm like, you know, I wish y'all would have worked on your marriage a little bit more than you worked on with me a little bit when I was a kid. <laughs> You know, and so I want us to last the long run. So I do value my marriage above my children. But I, what I mean by that is my kids are right there. <laughs> I, I've, I deprioritize everything else. So it's God, my wife, and my kids, everything else. God, my wife, my kids, everything else. I, that's how my order is, but I have an order. Um, so 
I do believe in marriage there is a husbands are given the charge to be the leaders of the home. I believe that. I believe the Bible teaches that because it says in Ephesians 5, husbands are the head of the wife. Again, if that rubs you the wrong way, that's because we might have a, a different understanding of what we mean by hierarchy, what we mean by, what we mean by head, what we mean by leadership. It means that I'm first in charge to make sure that I'm dying for my wife and I'm putting her first. And it all says in Ephesians, like, love as Christ loved the church. And that means washing her with the word, it says, meaning that I pray over my wife. I stay up at night and I pray for our household at times. And she does the same thing for me. And I'm not saying that, like, she doesn't do any of those things. I'm just saying that I take that role. And for you husbands, wherever you are, whether you're at home or in here, you are, I'm, charged, I'm charging you with not being passive in your marriage, not being lazy in your marriage. And so you're like, what am I supposed to do? Love your wives and die to yourself. Amen? That's what I want to charge you with. So um, I, the question I want you to write down, husbands, if you've taken notes, or is this, husbands, in what ways do you need to die to yourself to your wife? In what ways do you need to die to yourself, to your wife? So you guys can write that down if you're taking notes. I don't see you writing back there. I'm just kidding. <laughs> uh, I'm just thinking it in my head. Um, what, what's in your life do you need to sacrifice for your wife? Is it time at work? Is it making sure your lawn is the best-looking lawn on your street? Is it your hobbies? Is it your Xbox? What, what is something you need to sacrifice a little bit for your wife? Single folks, I'm sorry, just pray. <laughs> I ain't got no husband. I ain't got no wife. That's fine. We went on a men's retreat right before COVID, and really we charged men with these things of, of A, real men reject passivity, which means so many people are just so passive. They're so passive. I've never had so— I never had— Maybe once in my 14 years of full-time ministry, a wife say, my husband is just leading so much. I wish you'd back off. He's just bossing me around and leading. I've maybe gotten that once. What I've gotten a thousand times is my husband doesn't do anything. My husband just sits back. My husband watches football for 20 hours a weekend. My husband just sits around and drinks beer all day. My husband's, you know what I mean? Like he do, they're just sit back and they're not taking the role. So husbands, how can you die to your wives? How can you pray, make sure your family's praying before you eat dinner in little ways like that, praying before you eat dinner and taking the initiative and in, in leading your families, leading your household. And wives, it's not saying you can't do that. It's not saying you can't lead in different ways. My wife oftentimes says, hey, we forgot to pray. And I already got like half the chicken in my mouth. And I'm like, you're right, let's pray. <laughs> My wife prays. My wife leads. My wife does awesome things. Um, so, does that make sense? Okay. Can I move on to the next one? Okay. You have anybody have any questions? Okay. I'm sure this could open up a can of worms, so I'm just going to go. Wives called to submit to their husbands, which means give themselves over to their husbands. Husbands are called to die to themselves for their wife. It's very much a revolving door, not a one-way street. Okay. Next up, a lot more easier to digest is verse 20. It says this, Children, obey your parents in everything. And all the parents said? Amen. 
Oh, my gosh. You're like, hallelujah. Uh, Children, obey your parents and everything for this pleases the Lord. Now, this says fathers. Um, In other translations, it says parents because in this, when Paul's writing this letter, the fathers were like the person you wrote to, but it really meant like parents. So mothers and fathers, parents, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. Um, Again, these two go in conjunction. Um, Children, obey your parents. Start there. Um, this goes, you know, um, this goes back to like you're under your parents' authority, and a lot of questions people have is like, "Hey, I'm 45 years old and I moved out a long time ago. Do I still obey my parents according to the Ten Commandments?" Um, I would say no, because this is you're under your parents' umbrella of authority, and here in America, it's usually like till 17 or 18 or when you graduate high school, and when you graduate high school or you're 18 years old, you're no longer under your parents' authority. Well, that's the second thing I'm getting to. (laughs) You live at your parents' house, Sharon? That's crazy. (laughs) Just kidding. I know that's not true. Hey, that's cool. I lived with my parents until I got married. Um, Hey, uh, so you are, so children are, are called to obey your parents, as long as you're a child under their authority, which is like 17, 18. Once you're 18, you are no longer a child. You are no longer under your parents' authority. But, as I was getting to, Sharon, if you live in your parents' house, I would say the role switches to, like, we'll talk about the end of this passage, to then... It's not this parent-child. It's more of your child is now like that bond-servant-master relationship. <laughs> and I'm not, and I'm serious, but like a bond-servant, as we'll get to in a minute, a bond-servant in this is like you are a, con- a lot of times it means a contracted servant. And so a lot of times if you work for somewhere, you are a bond-servant to the, your master. So if you work at, you know, wherever, Shape, if you work at uh, McDonald's, your supervisor or who you report to is your master and you are the bond servant and it's saying you need to obey and respect your boss when you are 20 or 19 or 18 living at home there isn't this parent child relationship per se where it's like hey obey me it's saying that's when parents need to set up what's called house rules right and so it's like hey now that you're 25 living at home you're not, my, you're not my child in the sense where you have to obey me like a child, but we have some house rules. And here are the house rules that you have to live by, right? Maybe you charge them a little bit of rent for electric. Maybe they help out with bills. Maybe they help out with groceries. But maybe, they, maybe you want them home by midnight. Maybe you want them to clean or, or do yard work. But that is a bond-servant relationship, and the kids that are living with their parents need to respect that. Does that make sense? And parents, if you are griping that your kids are 22, 25, 30 living at home and they don't do squat, that's actually your fault. It's your fault for not setting better house rules before they moved in. And if you let your kids walk all over you, that's your prerogative, but it's good to set up loving house rules, right? Does that seem way off? Um, and it's cool. Like, I lived at home till I was 21, and then I got married. And I had house rules. I mowed the lawn. I took care of things. I, I pitched in in places. 
Um, and I was, I think, a good bond servant to my mother at the time. <laughs> but we had these, these rules, and so that's good. I only say that because I know folks live with their parents, and in this economic climate where a house that once cost 90000 now costs 300000 you might want to live at home a little bit longer. That's fine. That's good. But you have to respect the person whose house it is, and that's usually like a bond-servant relationship. Um, the other thing I want to point out, and this is very important to parents, mom and dads, are you provoking your children to anger? Are you yelling at your kids? Are you raging out on your kids? Are you putting unnecessary things over your children that you've just made them discouraged? That's something to think about. Well, I don't care if your kids are two or five or ten. It's saying, parents, don't push your kids too far. And this is a radical teaching for this day because in any day, this day when this was written, kids were seen, not heard. Kids didn't even have an identity at this point. And so to teach on, hey, don't push your kids too far. Don't discourage your kids. Don't just give them things to do just to discourage them. Don't do that. Don't scream at them. Discipline them, yes, but don't discourage them. And so um, my question for you parents, you can write down in your journals, is this. In what ways do you provoke your kids? In what ways are you provoking your kids to the point of discouragement? Seriously, take a second and pray about that and think about that. I'll just walk around awkwardly while you pray and think. I really want the Holy Spirit to speak during this time. And write it down. I hope that's enough time. Pray about it later, too. But we are called to discipline our kids, okay? I discipline my children, and usually when I discipline, I, whatever I do to discipline, um, I'll sit down with them, calmly say, hey, dad loves you, mom loves you, this is, how, this is what you did wrong. And I think last week, was it Tuesday? You cannot throw a baseball bat at my new truck. You just can't do it. <laughs> it happened. Jonathan. He was like the other side of the yard, and he had this bat, and he was swinging it like this, and then he just let it go, and it was like, whoosh, and it just hit the side of the truck. And so I sat him down, and I said, hey, I love you. You cannot do that, and I, I've told you not to play with your bat on my truck. And then whatever, we talk about it. And then, you know, I let them know first I love them. What oftentimes, what, I, what I'm not sharing with you is oftentimes when my boys make me mad, I have at times gone in a rage. Not like punching or hitting, but I'll scream like my dad did to me. When I was a kid, I mean, I didn't grow up in a church family at all, but my dad would scream his head off at me to the point the neighbors would hear it like 10 houses down. And it would be like a rage. And I found myself doing that too. And what I realize is, 
when I rage scream at my kids, I'm doing it as a release for myself. And it's not good. Does that make sense? I'm doing it because there's something inside of me that needs to explode, and I'm giving into anger or rage, and that's not good. Um, still discipline, but I still take a moment to pray and think and, and talk. And it's real funny. We were in my truck the other day, and we were coming back, and there was some garbage in my truck that was actually my garbage. I think it was an empty gummy, gummy worm wrappers because I eat gummy worms a lot. And I asked my kids, I'm like, hey, can you grab some of these wrappers and throw them away? And they're like, it's not ours. And I'm like, I know. Can you please just grab it and throw it away? And so Tyler grabs the garbage, and Logan grabs the garbage. And then Logan's like, looks at me and says, what if I say no? (laughs) And he was like dead serious. I'm like, please just grab it and throw it away. He's like, what if I say no? And I'm like, that's your choice. And he looked at Tyler and said, Tyler, we don't have to do it. (laughs) And he said, Dad said it's our choice. And I'm like, and maybe this is just the Holy Spirit speaking, but I said, Logan, I said, it's always your choice. It's always your choice. I can't beat you into obeying me. Do you see that? I can't just I mean, my dad did, but that's a different story. I was scared of that man. I obeyed my dad out of sheer fear, right? I obeyed my dad. I love my dad. My dad loves me. We love each other. We've gotten over it. I obeyed my dad because I didn't want my beat. Do you understand what I'm saying? That's the only reason I obeyed my dad. And I told Logan, I said, you don't have to obey. I say the same with God. You don't have to obey God. That's your choice. Your choice is to obey God or not. And he said, well, what's my consequence? (laughs) I said, here's the consequence. I will be sad that you didn't obey me. I said, that's it. I said, I'll I'll be sad that you didn't obey me. You didn't want to do something nice for me. And he's like, okay, I'll do it. (laughs) But I want him to think. It's like, I want you to obey out of love, not obey out of fear. You know what I mean by that? And so we had this awesome moment of like, you always can disobey me. There might be different consequences if you disobey in other ways, but for this particular thing that I'm asking you to do, the consequence is I'm going to be sad, and you're going to make me sad, and I hope that doesn't happen. Um, And so that was a great teaching moment, but we got to think as parents all the time, are you doing things just to the point of like breaking your kids and like, you know, are are you pushing them too far? And if you're pushing them too far, You need to step back and ask because God doesn't want you to do that. Okay, um, the last directive it gives is to bond servants in verse 22. It says, bond servants obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. So bond servants, um, another word says slaves. Another part says bond servants or indentured servants, hired workers. Um, a bondservant master relationship, the best way that we could interpret this and look at it is if you guys have employers. Um, raise your hand if you have a boss. Raise your hand if you work somewhere where you have a boss. Okay. A lot of you. A lot of you. Okay, cool. A lot of you are also bondservants to your boss. So we're, we're bondservants to our boss. Um, and it's saying, for your boss, obey them in everything, those who are your earthly masters. Obey them in everything. So do what they say. 
Obviously, don't sin. Don't sin. Don't do stuff like that. But it says obey your masters. That's good. That's good. We're supposed to do that. And here's the other part. You chose to work there. And so you chose to work there. So obey your master. Be kind, be kind to them. Don't talk bad about your boss behind their back. If you are that type of employee that is trashing your boss at every turn, that is bad, right? That's not being a good Christian. That's just trashing your boss at every turn. So he's saying, obey your master. And if you don't like him, quit and get a job somewhere else. That's okay too. Because remember the first verse, it says, whatever you do, do it as you're doing it for the Lord. If you feel like you can't work them anymore, quit. That's okay. You can do that. You can quit. But you are putting yourselves under their work, their earthly authority. Some of you guys hate your boss. And I get your boss might not be the most easiest person to work for. I understand that. But we are not called to gossip about him or her behind their back. We are not called to be lazy. We are supposed to work extra hard than anybody else. And people say, I know you're a Christian because of how hard you work and how, and how you don't badmouth your boss and your coworkers. I know you're a Christian because of that. So you work extra hard. So my last question for you today is this. Employees, in what ways are you dishonoring your employer? In what ways are you dishonoring your employer? As long as you're working there, you've got to honor those folks. And I'll read this last passage as you guys are praying about that and writing that down. It says in verse 23, whatever you do, work, what does it say? Heartily. Does anybody ever know that word, heartily? Work heartily? I think it means work with all your heart, work hard with all your heart, as for the Lord, not for men. So if your boss is a giant jerk, but you are working hard and you don't gossip about them, you aren't doing that for them. You're doing it for the Lord, right? You're doing it for God. And God's like, yes, I'm pleased with you because you obeyed that jerk for 20 years without talking bad about them and without stealing from them or without, you know, and you worked super hard at it. It says, knowing that from the Lord you'll receive your inheritance as your reward, you are serving, as you're serving the Lord Christ, in verse 25, for the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrongs he has done. And saying, if your boss is mean to you and harsh to you and rude, God will deal with them, and that's okay. Let God sift the wheat, right? You're like, but my boss accused me of something I didn't do. Stick up for yourself. If he doesn't believe you, God will deal with it. That's okay. For the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done, and there's no partiality. And then the last one is 4, verse 1. It says, Masters, treat your bondservants justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. And so if you are a boss, which some of you are bosses here with people under you, whether you have an apprentice under you, whether you own your own business or people work for you, it's saying, man, you have to treat people that you work with with dignity, with respect, because they are children of God. And even if they're not Christians, you've got to treat these people with respect. You've got to be known for that you are the best boss in Muskegon County because of how much 
you loved the Lord. Amen? Bosses here, think about ways to put your employees first. Think about ways to lift up your employees, take care of them, your apprentices, treat them justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. And so with everything, I'll say again, whatever you do, whether you choose to get married or choose to be single, do it with all your heart. Whether you choose to get a job or you choose to be self-employed or unemployed, do whatever you do with all of your heart. Like, how do I do unemployment with all my heart? I don't know. Come into church. We'll put you to work here if you're unemployed. (laughs) If you're looking for a job. Whatever you do, do it with all your heart. It's your choice, and you're doing it for God, not for men. Let's pray. God, I love you, and um, God, I just give myself to you. God, everything that we do, we do it for you. God, if it finds us that we are cleaning the toilet, help us scrub that toilet like it's in your house. And it's for you, not for men. God, if we're cutting grass for a living, help us cut these lawns like it's your lawn, not people's lawns. God, help us take care and pride in everything we do. God, I pray for husbands and wives. There is this ultimate reciprocating life laying down that's happening in putting each other first. Help us parents not discourage our kids, but guide them through life and disciple them gently. And God, help everybody here who's uh, still that kid age to respect their parents and obey their parents. So God, we love you, and we just give this time to you. Build us up for this week. God, help us reach people this week that we're not normally reaching, and help us just follow you. In Jesus' name I pray. And all God's people said?